Welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, presented by Easton's hard-hitting Axis Arrows. Learn more about Easton's cutting-edge and fused carbon arrow technology today at www.eastonarchery.com. Now here's your host of Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, Editor Christian Berg. Welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. We are the voice of bowhunting, and as always, we're glad that you've taken some of your time to be with us today and learn a little bit more about this awesome sport of bow hunting. I'll tell you what, it is getting to be that time of the year, and uh, if you're a deer hunter, your hairs are starting to stand up uh, on your arms, and you, you're, you're, you're starting to get that tingling sensation that it's soon time to climb into a tree stand. And I've got uh, our resident whitetail expert uh, as our guest today. That's none other than field editor Bill Winky. Bill, uh, thanks so much for being with us here today. It's my pleasure, Christian. It's good to be here. Yeah, man. It's uh, between your work for the magazine and everything you've got going on the farm and being the host of Midwest Whitetail on Sportsman Channel, I bet you are in full swing here as uh, the calendar turns into September with preparations for deer season. Yeah, it's it's busy most of the time during the year, but it really starts to pick up about this time when everybody's trying to close out of their regular work and clear their schedule so they can go hunting. It just seems like everything kind of lands all at once. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'm interested in just hearing real quick here, I want to focus most of our time on on the rut and and hunting strategies for guys, but just as you have a little bit of time left before you're really going to be focused on that, what kind of preparations do you have going here in the month of September, and how long before the season do you like to get all those odds and ends squared away so you don't have to kind of uh you know foul up the woods if you will before the season yeah generally uh a lot of the work that i have to do this time of the year is just you know the same work that everybody else has to do and that's my day job of you know getting the writing deadlines finished up which i'm sure i'm probably late on something for you by now it seems like perpetually late but uh i slipped from from the writing mode uh, and we do a lot of video now, as you as you mentioned. And I do a lot of photography still, so I'm still working uh, pretty much through the whole month of October because that's when it gets really pretty, you know. So being out there with a still camera, taking pictures of hunters in the field, and and setting up those kinds of shots that we use in the magazines all the time, um, that takes a lot of my time in October. So I don't spend as much time uh, preparing for the hunt, maybe as what people would think. Uh, I spend a lot of time working, and uh, but I do have. You know, kind of my own little schedule where I guess you know you make the most efficient use of your time. You fight the battles that are worth fighting, and and uh, you kind of you know step away from the rest of them and focus on the work part. But the stuff that I really am geared toward on the whitetail side now is uh, preparing to start running the trail cameras. And uh, we've done a lot of summer scouting, filmed a lot of deer, and and uh, we put a lot of that stuff up on our website, and and we're really starting to get that cranking. So that part of it is kind of over with now. Uh, how's how's the hit list in Iowa look this year, Bill? You have good conditions, yeah. good crops, and good deer this year? Yeah, it's, it's some giants. Uh, don't have a lot of really big deer, but I've got some really big deer, uh, bigger than, than what we've had in a while. Uh, so that's exciting. They're bucks that I've got a lot of history with, and unfortunately that history has been that these deer have been nocturnal uh, during the hunting season. And, and uh, you know, we filmed some just giants, some awesome deer uh, during the summer. But like I said, I mean, unless they break with their tradition, you know, these bucks are in the five and six-year-old age classes, 
and they've been giving me the slip now for a couple of years. So unless they start getting senile or, or getting complacent or something, uh, they might be pretty tough targets. But there's other good, solid, mature deer on the farm that are more prone to move during the day. Um, and that kind of brings me to the next step in my preparation, and that's getting the trail cameras out here. You know, once the bucks start breaking up their bachelor groups and spreading back out into their fall ranges, then I want to get the cameras on them and, and sort of document which deer are daytime movers and which ones are nighttime movers only. And uh, you can start to put their personalities together now. During the summer, they're all they're all dumb and fat and, and happy. But uh, once the testosterone levels come up and they really break up those bachelor groups, then you can start to figure out the personalities of the bucks that you're going after. And like I said, some are killable and, and some are very much more difficult to kill so yeah and and i know that you know from the from the writing that you do for us and the conversations that we've had is you know you're a little different than a lot of hunters and i'm gonna say probably a little smarter because most of us just beat our heads against the wall and we don't mind doing it and what i mean by that is you know you you talk about these really big trophies that you've got you know you've seen them in the summer you know they're there you've filmed them uh, you're going to start running these trail cameras here, you know, through the second half of uh, September into the first half of October as they shift from the summer pattern to the fall pattern. And these bucks, if you're only seeing that they're going to be moving at night, you're not going to waste a lot of time hunting some of those deer, even if they're some of the biggest ones that you've got, whereas most of us would probably give into the temptation to just climb into a stand early in the season and try and kill those deer. And as you point out, you know, pretty matter-of-factly in one of your recent articles is if you assume that that buck is going to change his movement pattern to accommodate your hunt, you're probably fooling yourself and you might be doing yourself more harm than good trying to kill that deer, especially at that early in the season. Yeah, and if you can figure out, and we usually get back on these deer again with the cameras, um, you know, like I said, these are some bucks that we've been hunting for a while, and there'll be a few that pop up that we haven't hunted or or deer that make the jump from, from three years old to four years old, and all of a sudden they've got these big antlers. Because sometimes they'll make a, you know, a, big, a big rack jump uh, from, that, you know, from three to four. But anyway, we, we know enough about these deer to know more or less where their fall ranges are already. So we just start plugging the cameras back into those areas and start to you know, really monitor what these bucks are doing. And um, what we find is that you know, some of them, you know, like I said, some of them will move during the day and some of them won't. And it's, it's a personality thing. We've seen them. You know, some of these deer, we we because they have slightly unique antlers or something. You know, we we start recognizing them when they're two, for sure. When they're three years old, mm-hmm. you know, they'll be four, five, six years old now, and you'll see those tendencies that they had already started when they were young. You know, like I've got bucks that I'm hunting now that are six, that even when they were two and three years old were already nocturnal. You know, we weren't getting daytime pictures of them then, and and we don't hunt this farm. You know, we hunt it hard, but we try to hunt it carefully and and you know not spook a bunch of deer. We don't do a, a lot of heavy-handed hunting. So they're not getting intense pressure. That's just who they are. You know, they're just, that's their personality. And um, like you said, the frustrating part is until you know who this deer is that you're hunting, you can hunt him assuming the best when he may not even move during the day. So um, my plan now is just to hang, you know, hunt smart. Like I said, pick your punches. You know, don't don't swing at, you know, at at everything that moves. Um, You know, look for the targets that you can hit. And for me, that means I've got to find the bucks that are moving during the day or monitor the other ones and keep track of what times they're showing up on the cameras and see what is trending. Mm-hmm. You know, the trending toward daytime movement, you know, a lot of times toward the end of October, you'll start to see that pick up where, 
you know, rather than coming through at 2 in the morning, they're coming through at 5 in the morning or 6 in the morning or whatever. And you're starting to see that kind of a movement or that trend toward daytime movement. Uh, then it's probably worth, you know, take, you know, getting into a tree stand and, and uh, you know, being smart about it but starting to hunt those deer. Uh, you know, if, if they're just showing up and they're doing all their move, movement, you know, from 10 o'clock until 3 in the morning, which some of the bucks are that I hunt, uh, it can be pretty discouraging. And, and actually, then you are doing more harm than good because when they come through there at 10.30 at night, they do stumble across your ground scent, and uh, it tells them. You know, they know. I mean, they they read their area where they live just as easily as if somebody walked through your living room with muddy boots on. Um, you know, you'd look at that and you'd say, holy cow, you know, we, we need to come up with better security. Somebody walked through our living room with muddy boots on. Um, you know, you walk through their their uh, sanctuary areas or their living rooms or whatever you want to call it, um, they're going to know you've been there. So uh, mm-hmm. that's why, you know, like I said, you gotta you got to take the right punches and, and uh, you know, be, you got to be smart about it. And, and I'm trying to be smarter all the time. I guess I'm, I don't have the energy to, to hunt necessarily harder, so I've got to hunt smarter. Yeah, one, one other quick thing, Bill, before we kind of jump right into the rut, and uh, it just kind of came to me as you were, talking about you know the those early season strategies is what what about does like i know here in pennsylvania um in in the area where i hunt the state opens up actually a two-week antlerless only season uh before the regular archery season opens and i'm one that uh is always eager to get out there on the very first day it's september 17th this year i'll go into one of my very best stands and shoot the first doe that comes along and it usually is a pretty quick hunt to be perfectly honest with you other people think i'm crazy for doing that because um they're saying oh, i'm not going to go in there before the regular season opens i don't want to spook something I, I tend not to worry about it. i'm like i want to get some meat in the freezer i'd like to take a nice doe get the season kicked off and then you know then i can get back out of there for another four or five weeks maybe before i hunt that stand again uh what's your philosophy on taking does how many do you try and shoot every year and when do you think is the best time for people to to fill some doe tags if that's what they want to do well, I think the way you're going about it is fine. You know, the four to five weeks is a long time for an area to freshen back up again. I wouldn't for sure be worried about that. Um, you know, if you're, if you're in there, you know, especially, um, well, I mean, ideally you shoot the doe in an area that's not close to where you're going to do your primary buck hunting, but not everybody has that luxury. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't see any issue with it. I don't know that I would make, you know, a lot of trips in, uh, you know yeah, I've been I mean? fortunate the last two years yeah. to kill one by 8 o'clock opening morning, so I, yeah. I figure that's just a few hours of intrusion on one day, you know? <laughs> yeah, that, that's so easy for the deer to forgive that, so I wouldn't worry about it. The, uh, um, we shoot a lot of does. I mean, I I shoot a lot of does, and, and we do it, you know, I do it as much. Uh, I mean, I love shooting stuff with a bow. Uh, you know, that's what I do. I love it. You know, I mean, that's why I'm in this business. Uh, do, you try and so, shoot, do you try and shoot a lot of them early, or do you wait until the late season? I fill them. I fill the tags whenever the opportunity exists. I'll I'll shoot them right on through the rut. You know, I know it sounds bad. And before we started filming, I was ruthless. I didn't even care if I killed a buck. You know, I mean, I was just as happy with a pocket full of doe tags as I was with a buck tag in my pocket because, you know, like I said, I like action. And and uh, you know, when you think about the targets that I'm hunting, you know, the buck, the bucks that I'm going after, you know, my odds of of encountering one of those deer on any given day is really low. Um, you know, you just put in your time, you know, hour after hour after hour, and it's just, you know, it's a long, it's a long process. People don't appreciate how many hours, you know, I sit there hoping for one of these guys to come by, and 
it just kind of brightens my day to know that I've got some doe tags in my pocket and that, you know, I still like action. And, and, uh, like I said, before we started filming, there was, there was no pressure on, on producing any kind of kills. You know, Mm -hmm. I wanted to, you know, have some credibility for the readers of the magazine, but, you know, I didn't feel like, you know, any, I just did what I wanted to do, you know, that I didn't have to produce for, for anybody. And, and, uh, so I shot does every every single one that came by. Um, you know, we, we can get tags here. Uh, you don't no you don't think all. Midwest Whitetail wants entire like season full of nothing but winky doe kills? <laughs> you know, I think people get a kick out of it. I'll be honest with you. I think people like watching it. You know, I I know I perk up when they when they're on the TV shows. I like watching people shoot does, uh, but I don't. I think they like to see the hunt for bucks. You know, and and uh, that's why I kind of lay off now because I know that there's a disturbance that occurs. You know, if there's a doe that comes in and you shoot her and she tears off through the woods. Forget about your scent, you know, going in to get her later. Um, you know, just, just the disturbance of that doe. You know, she comes out of the food plot, you shoot her, and she tears back into the woods. If there's a buck that's on the inside boundary of that cover kind of hanging back, which they do, you know, they'll stay back and watch and kind of stage and then work their way out, um, he's not going to come out that evening probably. Sure. And uh, so I just give that up. You know, I never worried about it. Like I said, I, was, I just enjoyed uh, shooting does. But now I'm more prone to, to lay off them. But um, I'll shoot them. I'll shoot as many as I can early. You know, kind of like what you're talking about. And I'll and I'll shoot them. You know, sporadically throughout the whole season. Whenever I feel like I can make a quick and easy recovery, you know, where I don't have to mess up my whole hunting area going in to get the doe back out. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's mm-hmm. a place I can, especially if you can drive your vehicle to it. Yeah. I mean, that's really low impact because the deer are used to vehicles in the in the areas where I live. Oh, you know, yeah. farm country. Yeah, the stand that I've been doing it is is close to a power line that I can drive my truck on and it's you know literally the last couple of years I've managed to have you know within 100 yards of the truck to get that doe to die and it's pretty low impact and it's to me it's a no-brainer you know if the state provides that opportunity for me to be able to go ahead and get a two-week jump start on deer hunting and and I can put some meat in the freezer too uh, I'm not going to like pass that up just because I might lose some sleep over scaring a buck you know I don't think the odds at that time of the year honestly you know to have the bucks roaming around in broad daylight is that great anyway <laughs> yeah no I, I agree I, I think it's I think it's a fine thing uh, the other thing too from a biological standpoint it makes a lot of sense to shoot them early and it's you know it's a splitting of hairs you know the the, the advice that I've always gotten from you know the the people who are really promoting you know, population control, as they say, you got to shoot them every time you can. You know, don't be trying to target certain times during the season, or you probably won't kill enough of them. You know, if you've got if you've got doe issues, but given your your options, um, every doe that you kill before the rut is one less doe that a buck has to you know lose sleep over and, and stress over, and and you know work harder to to combat other bucks. You know, to to gain breeding rights to this doe. Um, so if you can reduce the number of does that have to be bred before the rut, you actually reduce the overall stress on the herd. Like I said, it's splitting hairs. But also, if you think about it, if, if you do, in theory, not in practice, but in theory, you know, your older mature bucks, you know, are, are going to be your, your breeders, you know, in, in the most, most cases. At least they're going to get to breed the does that they want to breed. They may not breed them all. But, uh, in theory, they have bigger antlers. You know, they really don't. But let's just say, pretend that they do, um, you take that buck and he breeds a doe, maybe he breeds three does, and now you're killing does after they've been bred, you know, later into the season, there's some chance that you're going to kill one of those three does that that, you know, mm-hmm. big antlered buck bred. Right. And if, if you kill all your does early, you're, you're probably not going to kill any, you know, hopefully
hopefully nobody else kills them, but you know, the chances of those three does that that bigger antlered buck bred uh, being killed is going to be a lot lower. So that's another you know, reason why shooting the does early is better. But like I said, I mean, if you're really on the doe control campaign, you have to shoot them when you can, um, not when you want to, because uh, unfortunately, you know, the deer don't always uh, go along with our plans. Yeah. Well, let's jump right into the main course here, and, and that's, you know, probably what, what most guys are most interested in, and that's the rut. And, and, you know, I'd like to focus the rest of the time that we have today, Bill, just on sort of that that core time that, that most people focus their efforts on, which I would say goes through, say, the last week of October through the middle of November. And, uh, you know, our October issue is just getting ready to uh, hit newsstands here this coming week, and you've got an article in there specifically about that last week of October. I, I put a headline on there called Trick or Treat Whitetails, and uh, you kind of have changed your philosophy over the years. You did not used to really bother getting into a stand until the first of November, but you've kind of bumped that up a week based on uh, some experiences that your friends had and now some good experiences that you've had over the last maybe 10 years or so, huh? Yeah, for sure. That that uh, that that last week of October can be really good some years, and, and you don't know for sure if it's going to be good unless you're out there hunting it. Um, and generally, if you can look at the forecast, you can kind of predict, you know, that you know, I talked about it in that article, too, that that last cold front in October seems to be a real trigger for at least a few days of, of aggressive movement by the bucks. And, you know, if you can catch that last cold front close to when the when the does are starting to come into estrus, so you get into that last week of October, catch a cold front coming through, a uh, pretty good chance you're going to see a lot of nice buck movement during that time. Uh, so I've started moving up my dates. And, and also I think the, the bucks are a little bit more... Um, they're not really patternable, but at least they're a little bit more predictable because they haven't started really moving after the does yet uh, during that last week of October. They've raised their level of activity, but they've done so more in their in their known range. Uh, so they're a little bit more at home, and they're not as likely to be you know a mile away or something like that as what they might be in a couple of weeks. So from that standpoint, it's it's also you know a good time, and and they'll start to be a little bit aggressive. They'll start reacting you know to to uh, you know, Working scrapes and and uh, you know scent checking and and you know they're they're just kind of getting a feel for what's going on. So um, no, I think it's it's a good time frame. I don't think it's anywhere as good as what I call the core time or the or the best week. Uh, but I think that it's a time frame that you definitely don't want to miss uh, because it it can contribute. You know, one of the really good days of the rut each year, and mm-hmm. that's kind of I guess I talked about that in that article too. The fact that there aren't an unlimited number of really good days. Uh, you can't afford to give up even one of them. You know, when in my mind, there's only you know some years there's only four or five really good days during the rut. Right. And one of them might fall that last week of October, and if you give it up, you've given up twenty percent of your of your success. Uh, yeah, and th- I mean, you you had some pictures uh, with that article. You know, we had a handful of uh, trophy photos with that piece and of yourself and and uh, some of the other folks that you hunt with there. And my goodness, I mean, those are some of. Uh, the best bucks that you guys have ever taken out of that area that have fallen, you know, yeah. in that uh, October, you know, 25 to 31 time frame. So yeah. well, uh, that, clearly that, the weather, though, I mean, I don't want to oversell it. I mean, if the weather is hot or unseasonably warm, it can be a pretty brutal time to be out there, too, right? Yeah, yeah, it definitely it's going to be related to the weather. But it just seems like for some reason, I don't know why, you know, you go back through the years, it always seems like Halloween is good. 
you know, right around there, and then there's almost like a cold time in there, somewhere between like the 25th and Halloween. There's like a, a couple of cold days, and that's that's your trigger. Um, if you can watch the forecast and you can be selective in which days you can go out, um, I would hit those days, those cold days. You know, hit hit the day that the cold front comes through, and then the next two days, and then you can pop back out of there again and wait until maybe November 3rd or whatever to really get after it again, um, or you know whatever if your time permits you to hunt sooner. But if you're trying to pick your days, um, you know, yeah, if, you, to if you only catch, have one week to take vacation, that wouldn't be the week you'd recommend, right? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't pick that week. But if you had, a, if you could take a long three-day weekend and use up one day, and you watch the weather, and you can see that you've got this front coming in, I'd definitely use one day then. Um, I'd, I'd have a long weekend in there because. Well, you know, I, I was actually thinking about that, Bill, because uh, Halloween falls on a Monday this year, and I was thinking about that'd be a good day to take off and take the three-day weekend. Yeah. Yeah, you know, if the, if the weather looks favorable, I won't do it if the forecast, uh, you know, the Friday before says it's going to be seventy eight degrees on Monday. Well, see, I thought <laughs> I thought that you editors could just kind of come and go whenever you wanted to. I didn't realize you guys actually had a hard schedule. Oh man, you know how? Listen, you know publisher Jeff Warren, he's slave driver. It's hard to get out. You know, we gotta I'm, beg to go on these hunting trips. I'm guessing he doesn't even know that you're in the office when you're there. <laughs> he's usually locked in his office, so I probably could. Not, he's not on the show phone with the outfitter. He wouldn't notice. <laughs> well, let's. You're not gonna edit this stuff out, are you? No, no, no. We okay. run this is total stream of consciousness programming here on Peterson's Bow Hunting Radio. Oh, uh, let's funny. jump right into November now. Now, between Halloween week and what you typically, I know, I know, uh, because you know we've known each other for a few years now, and you, I've been editing your articles. I know that you're a huge believer in November the seventh as year to year to year the most consistent best day of the year. Is there in your mind, Bill, a lull, if any? sort of between that October 31st Halloween kind of hot action and then the main burst of hot action that you're going to get sort of around that November 7th time frame? You know, I think the whole rut has its ebbs and flows, and I think that, that uh, it's, you're going to have uh, ebbs and flows. So there's going to be a lull in there. You don't get, it doesn't seem like you just get a steady level or even an increasing level of activity. You get like a couple of really good days, and it's kind of dead for a couple of days and a couple of good days. You know, it kind of it's sort of uh, uh, like I said, it kind of comes and goes. The action is is sporadic. Uh, that's why it's really so hard to predict. But it just seems like, and, and I've got my my theories on on why it works this way. But it just seems like that time frame between the third and the tenth. Um, if you can hunt that time frame every year, you're going to pick up one of those really good days or or a really good two day period when it all comes together. And the thing is, everybody in your area uh, is going to be into them. You know, there's just something that triggers, and, mm-hmm. and uh, it might be something weather-related. Uh, my theory is that it has to do with when the first does are coming into estrus in that area. And the bucks are kind of primed, and they're ready to go. You know, they don't have any action, and, and uh, you know, the testosterone levels are coming up. You know, they're, they're all, you know... They're all ready to go, and and there there's no does yet. And then all of a sudden, now there's a doe, and and uh, you know the scent is in the air, and now they're all trying to find this this first doe. So it, it's a little bit more uh, competitive. The bucks are moving more, I think. And then as more does are coming into estrus, you know, as you as you roll into the middle of November, which is kind of the peak of breeding, and, and you just have to be careful when you're time in the rut that you don't think the peak of breeding is the peak of buck movement activity because it's not. It's almost like inverse. Mm-hmm. So the peak of breeding in, in mo- most of the Midwest and, and the northern two thirds of the United States, or you know, clear up into uh, Canada, 
is that middle of November. And uh, I know they did some studies in, in Missouri recently, and we talked to the fellow there that, that conducted those studies, and they did it based on uh, fetus dating. And, and you can take... Right, you know, conception kind of, date, right. Yeah, you can back it up to get your conception date. And they did a whole bunch of tests on, on uh, you know, those that were killed during the late seasons and stuff like that to determine when they conceived. And they, they came up with the average was November 16th, plus or minus a day, over like a three- to four-year period. And they said it didn't vary from one year to the next, plus or minus one day. So you, you think all of this kind of moon stuff and all these other things that are supposed to change rut timing, they might change um, the intensity on one end or the other a little bit or something like that. But the average date when the does conceive doesn't change that much. So the rut takes place during a certain time frame every year. You know, so you can kind of take that to the bank. Uh, there's a lot of other factors, you know, hunting pressure, temperatures, um, you know, wind, you know, I like a little bit of a breezy weather. I don't like really still weather, and, and we have better hunting when it's breezy. But you, you put those those weather and those outside influences into it, and it gets a little bit tougher to predict. But you leave those out, and the rut is timed based on the amount of daylight. And that's mm-hmm. that's kind of what gets the glands going. That's what, you know, gets the does on a schedule. It gets the bucks, you know, the testosterone level comes up. You know, that's what causes them to shed their velvet, which is going to happen here pretty quick. Um, you know, it's all tied to the, sure. the amount as, of... As daylight decreases, there's a number of physiological changes that are triggered in the animals. Right, and that doesn't change from year to year. Um, you know, there's going to be the same amount of daylight roughly on November 7th in 2011 as there was on November 7th in 2010. So if it's tied to that photo period, then it's going to have to be consistent with dates. Um, you know, so that's kind of uh, what I've seen over the years, too. Of, of, you know, I've hunted every single day of the rut for 20-some years, 22 or so 23 years um so i've had a good sample of of you know going from being you know green as a gourd to coming up with some theories to proving my theories to now having conclusions well that, that's 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 why uh you know you've got the life you know you try to give me a hard time but heck you're the one who's been sitting in a tree you know all day for every day of the rut for 20 years i don't get to do that but you don't know how much i suffered the other 11 months <laughs> oh yeah i know everyone okay. we all feel really bad for you man yeah well yeah okay well, I mean, i've got guys like you calling me saying hey where's my stuff and i'm like hey i'm working as hard as i can here don't you know I'm making a living? Yeah, everyone's trying to feed their kids, man. <laughs> but no, anyway, focusing back on that, the the my whole point is that their testing in Missouri has suggested exactly what I've seen, and that is that it doesn't change a whole lot. It, it's calendar. You look at the calendar, and you can kind of predict. So, you know, for for my money, if I have to take seven days of vacation, I'm always going to shoot for that November third through the tenth. Um, and you're going to get some really good days in there, and you're going to get some dead days. Um, and that's just the nature of the rut. You know, it does not run wide open all the time, um, you know, nor does it even stay steady all the time. It's, right, right. You have good days and bad days. And and, and, uh, and so and so because of that, even within, you know, the so-called best week of the year, it's, it's still impossible to tell exactly which day or which hour is going to be the best. You recommend that, you know, especially for folks who have maybe only that week, to hunt that they try to stay in the field pretty well you know all day throughout that time right yeah yeah because the anything can happen at any time during the rut you know if you go earlier in the year it's it's you pretty much figure that you know the deer are going to be moving early in the morning and late in the evening but you get into that time frame you know november 3rd through november 10th you know maybe bump it up to november 12th um, you get in that time frame and anything can happen at any minute and uh, i've got an illustration that kind of 
you know, brings that home to me. Uh, oh, a number of years ago, I had a buck that chased a little doe fawn actually off a food plot, and and uh, she was off feeding in another little food plot nearby that I could see, and he fell asleep in some switchgrass, and he just bedded right down and fell asleep. Well, I sat there and I waited because he was a big deer. I wanted to shoot him, and I watched that spot for hours. I mean, I think I watched that spot for five hours, and that doe was long gone. I mean, she was gone in ten minutes after he bedded down. Finally, I see him stand back up again and shake himself off. Then it's like he realized, like, oh, man, I had a doe here. You know, where did she go? Then he went into the bird dog mode, and he went past me. Just He covered that 10 acres that I could see from my tree stand. Uh, he just he scoured it. And finally he came by within bow range, and I was able to kill him. But if I had not seen that deer bed down, uh, that was on the 3rd of November, I believe. And, uh, you know, I, I probably would have been gone because it was afternoon. It was mm-hmm. like 12-something in the afternoon. And I just kept waiting, thinking, well, as long as he's there, you know, I'm going to be here. And uh, if I had not seen that deer bed down, like if I'd have been just over the next rise, for example, from that deer, where I couldn't have seen him bed, all I'd have seen was a doe fawn walk past and nothing else. And I'd have climbed down probably at 11 o'clock thinking that the morning was dead. Well, just on the other side of the ridge, he was bedded and was soon on his feet, you know, covering that area, you know, like he was a, you know, a dog looking for a pheasant in a, in a slough. Sure. Um, so that just kind of brings it home. You never know what's better just over the hill that's going to get up on its feet, you know, anytime soon. Uh, you may think, you know, there's nothing going on, um, but you need to stick it out anyway, and especially during that, that time of the season. And it's, uh, anything can happen, and for sure on cooler days, you're out yeah. better. You know, warm yeah. days, that's tough. When, it's, when the temperature hits 70, you know, in the northern two-thirds of the United States, it's, it kind of shuts stuff down. You actually shared that story in another piece that you had written for our November issue, which will be out on newsstands the second week of October. And we actually called that article Anatomy of an All-Day Sit. And you talk about the fact that, again, stressing this idea that, you know, there's only so many really top-notch days to hunt each year. And and you want to be out there and you want to maximize that. And you had a couple different strategies um regarding stands you know and where you'll sit and and if i remember correctly bill you're basically kind of hedging your bets in one of two kind of strategies at that time one would be a stand that you would call an all-day stand which would be in a travel corridor basically some kind of a funnel or pinch point where you're trying to just be there because at any time you know throughout the day you can get cruising bucks that are going to pass through those areas and then a second option would be to have uh, an idea of moving basically from one stand to another not actually going in you know and taking a few hours off but just having a couple stands maybe a morning stand that is uh, near a bedding area and then an afternoon stand that's closer to a food source and at some point during the day you're just going to quietly slip from one stand to the other and do an all-day hunt at two different locations talk a little bit about those two strategies and you know how do you kind of decide on any given day which one of those two options you're going to go with well the, for me it, it comes down to my personality uh, i don't like to sit in one spot for 11 hours uh, it just drives me you know, nuts. I mean, I'm I'm a little bit, um, I'm I'm not a, I'm not a person that can just sit in one spot for that long. So, it makes the most sense for me because of my personality to get down and move. Uh, it's the only way I'm going to spend the maximum amount of time out there. Otherwise, I'm going to burn out after a couple of days. You know, trying to sit all day in one tree. Uh, the other option with the all day in one tree uh, a situation or strategy would be to climb down and take a nap. 
Uh, that works pretty good, too. You know, I, I don't have any problem with that, sleeping at the base of the tree and then climbing back up again. Uh, it kind of breaks up the day a little bit and kind of gives you a, a kind of a fresh mentality again. You know, I've had a lot of all-day sits where by the time a deer came in at, you know, 4.30, you know, I'm kind of halfway fried. Um, you know, and, and not to say that my adrenaline doesn't come back up again, but, you know, it doesn't, you know, it's supposed to be fun. You know, at the end of the day, we're supposed to be enjoying this stuff. And, and if it isn't enjoyable to sit in one tree for a whole day, then I'd say don't do it because you do have, like you said, that second option, and that is to relocate uh, to a different stand. And, and uh, you can kind of optimize your hunting a little bit that way, too. You know, if you pick a, a, a an all-day stand in a travel corridor between two places where the does concentrate, for example, and, and that's the general strategy for the rut. Keep it real simple. You know, figure out where the does are concentrated and either hunt the fringes of those areas or hunt some kind of a stand between them mm-hmm. because that's what the bucks are doing. I mean, they're looking for does. So, you know, there's no sense in, in overcomplicating the rut. Uh, so you're either going to be close to one of those endpoints, one of those concentration areas, which in the evening is going to be where they feed and in the morning is going to be where they bed, or you're going to be in a stand in the travel corridor between two of them. So it makes the most sense if you've got an all-day sit to be in one of those stands that's between two two doe concentration areas. Um, if you're going to break it up, then you might as well optimize it and go right to the downwind fringe of a doe bedding area for your morning sit, slip out of there, and then move into a location, maybe a staging area or something like that, excuse me, near where they go to feed. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of what I do. Um, I, I would rather I would rather get down and move. Um, yeah. And, and that, oh, yeah, I'm with you. I'm a little bit. Uh, hyperactive as you know you may have noticed and uh it's hard for me to stay in in one tree stand from dawn to dark and you know at the end of the day i mean i've had all day sits where i've had good bucks come by at one in the afternoon so you know yes the the midday activity can be you know surprisingly good and and it can be well worth your time but on the other hand it's like you said it's got to be fun and you know what don't don't let just because you know somebody says you should if you really don't want to if you want to go in for lunch go in and have lunch you know i i I joked around with some guys uh a couple years back i was in illinois uh, on an outfitted hunt and uh we were you know texting to each other in the tree and and uh you know, there was three of us out that morning in the same general area, and I was saying that, you know, I'm going in because they're having tacos for lunch, and that sounded pretty good. And the other two guys were like, no way, I'm staying out. And I, the only thing I said to him, I said, all right, guys, make me regret it. And I no, went no, in, what I you went, should have said was good, more tacos for me. <laughs> no, I said, make me regret it. So <laughs> I went in, and I had my tacos and kind of chilled out for a little while, and then I got back out on stand. And here, you know, they really hadn't seen anything, and I was texting them about how great the tacos were and anything. But, you know, there was just a good of a chance that they could have really made me regret going in. Yeah. But, but the yeah. bottom line is the point I'm trying to make, and maybe I'm doing it in a really long-winded way, is, do what do what you want to do enjoy your hunt and you know to some extent you know if it's meant to be it's meant to be but yeah maximize your opportunities but you don't have to kill yourself out there you know? no it's not it's not worth it but uh then what the question that comes up then if you're going to move and this is one that i struggle with when do you move you know i mean because you're going to have probably an hour of downtime i'm guessing the average person by the time they you know climb down they're probably going to go to the vehicle, grab a sandwich or something, and, and maybe eat an apple and, you know, maybe sit down and, and listen to the radio and see if their favorite football team is winning or whatever, and then they're going to go back out again. They're probably going to take a little break in there. They're probably not just going to walk for 15 minutes and get into another tree. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, that would be ideal, you know, if, if they could do that. Uh, but most people won't. They're going to take a little break in there. Uh, I mean, that's what I do. I climb down. I usually I'd, I'd drive from one area to another area, and in the process, you know, I I take a little break. Um, so when do you take that break? And and that's the, that's the question I don't have a really good answer for you. You know, I mean, there's there's really no good time. Uh, we like to stay on morning stands, myself and most of the guys I hunt with, uh, until 11. You know, it just seems like, you know, and, and if, you're, if your morning stand is back in the cover a ways, you know, near a doe bedding area or at least not on an edge, uh, and it's a cool morning, you're probably going to have some type of potential for for decent amount of movement until about 11 a.m. So, you know that's you know depending on where you're at in the country and where you fall in your time zone. I mean it's it's a good ways after sunrise. Yeah. Um, and and uh, so normally that's about when we try to climb down. So for me, you know, I'd be hitting the ground around 11:30 probably and trying to be into an afternoon stand by 12:30 or one. It's kind of you know what what my day schedule would look like during the rut. So that leaves an hour to an hour and a half. Uh, where you know I'm not in a tree, uh, but again it keeps my sanity. You know because I hunt, I hunt a lot of days, um, and you start to get burned out after a while. I mean you just you, you can only go wide open for so long. Uh, it, you know if I hunt the last week of October, there's there's a solid week before the good stuff even starts. <laughs> you know already, you know I can have ten days in before the the good hunting even starts. And and uh, you know ten days doesn't sound like very much, but when you crank it out. You know, when you're moving tree stands and you're getting up at four in the morning and you know checking emails and you know doing a few things every day and going to bed at ten o'clock or eleven o'clock or whatever it is, you can be dragging pretty good after ten days. Yeah, no doubt. So, no doubt. So anyway, it just kind of depends. If a guy's on a vacation, if you're taking a vacation from work and you've got five or seven days or whatever it is, um, I'd say stay on stand all day every day or make that move from one stand to another as quickly as you can, sometime around eleven o'clock in the morning. Um, you're going to feel better about yourself. You're going to feel like you gave yourself the best chance you could, uh, and and possibly you'll kill a nice deer during that time frame. But uh, if you've got the whole season, or you've got you know a different situation, maybe you're self-employed and you can kind of pick your days and whatever the case may be. Uh, some people hunt every morning and every evening, you know, before or after work, uh, depending on their location and their schedule. Um, you know, th- then you can you've got so many opportunity hours anyway. It's not as critical to beat yourself up, you know, every single day. Mm-hmm. You know, the last thing I wanted to touch on quickly before we wrap it up here, Bill, is uh, calling and rattling. Uh, that's something that, you know, everybody uh, is interested in, especially during the rut. And uh, there's a lot of schools of thought. You know, I, I know some guys that like to smack the heck out of those antlers and and bleat like crazy and uh i hunted with another guy up in alberta last fall who insisted on just tickling the the antlers you know just ever so lightly and you know what his method worked great up there um so you know people are all over on the all over the road on that what is bill winky's uh favorite uh, method for calling rattling when do you do it how do you do it and how do you kind of read the deer's body language to guide you and your actions well one, one thing that i've seen a lot more in the last few years i've paid a lot more attention to it seems to be really related to the volume uh, do they hear it and that sounds shocking you know from the standpoint that everybody has these fancy techniques but um, if they can't hear it and they're crunching by it 150 yards away you're not going to call them in um, so you just have to keep finding a, a more and more uh, aggressive or, or louder call um, and I'll take you through you know typically my progression 
you know, let's say that I see a deer walking by at 125 yards, and I think, you know what, that's a that's a buck. I either want to get him up here and look at him better, or I know that deer. I want to shoot that deer. Uh, first thing I'm going to do is send out a grunt. You know, just a basic medium tone, nothing you know too crazy, and watches watches reaction. If he doesn't react, I raise the volume on that grunt as loud as I can, or I shouldn't say that to the next level. I try to increase the the volume of that grunt until he stops and looks my way. And when he does, I give him one more, just a soft one now, because I've got his attention. He's not crunching through the leaves. His ears are pointing my way. You know, he, he doesn't need that really loud grunt now. Mm-hmm. Give him a, a softer, medium tone grunt again, then be quiet. If he's going to come in, he's going to come in. Because you know, what you've done is you've got his attention. Um, and and you know, I'm not, I shouldn't say that. More than likely, if he's going to come in, you've given him all he needs already. You don't have to do anything more. You run more risk of calling too much than of calling too little at that mm-hmm. point. Yeah. Um, let him get curious. You know, and, and he may not come in right away, but he may be on a hot on a hot trail or something, and he goes, and, and the hot trail is a dead end, and he comes back. I've seen that happen a lot of times where they'll show up an hour later from the direction that they were heading, and they, they just filed it away. You know, they came back out of curiosity to check it out, and, and boom, there they are within bow range. So don't spook them. Uh, you know, give them enough so that they know you're there, and then let them do their thing. Uh, but if you can't raise that volume on that grunt loud enough to get them to stop, then you've got to take more aggressive uh, calling measures. And the next step for us is to snort wheeze. And that shrill pitch, you know, that at the end, mm-hmm. shockingly, that will carry better. Even when you do that with your mouth, that will carry better on a windy type of a day in, in the timber than the grunt call will. And I think it has to do with the frequency of the sound. I think it just carries better to the deer and they pick it up better. Uh, but we get them to snap their heads around on that when we can't even get them to even hear the grunt. Uh, and then, again, the same thing. You don't even have to hardly do anything at that point. If they snap their head around on that snort wheeze and look at you, pretty good chance that you know they're going to react in some way. They're either, you know, they, they may not come in, but the only reason they're not coming in is because they've got someplace else in mind. Um, and, and so anyway, that's, that's kind of the progression. And the final thing, I mean, obviously the loudest call that you've got is the rattling because you can slam them together. Um, so you do what you've got to do to get their attention. Uh, that's kind of my progression is I want the deer to at least acknowledge that I called to him. Uh, and then I can work from there. And sometimes, you know, you, you get their attention with the grunt, and they take a couple of steps, and then you snort wheeze, and then they, and then they think better of it, and they, they think, oh, boy, you know, I better go down there and check that out. Yeah. You know, sometimes you can lay a couple calls together. But uh, um, I tend to be probably a little bit more conservative than most people on the calling part just because it seems like the deer already kind of knows what he wants to do as soon as he, as soon as he hears the call. Uh, he's either in that mood or he's not in that mood. And, and sometimes you can change his mood, but usually you can't. Um, so, yeah. that, like now, I said, I, you, you also mentioned when we were talking another time, you don't do much blind calling either. You you pretty much won't call until you have a deer in your vision, right? Yeah, that's that's my normal my normal way. And, and uh, you know, I just don't like having deer coming in hunting me that I don't know are there, that I'm not tracking with my eyes. Um because they're they're really good at pinpointing the source of the sound. You know, it's shockingly you know how good they are. Um, you know, you can grunt to a deer that's you know a couple hundred yards away, and he'll stop at the base of your tree and mm-hmm. start looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's amazing. So you know, you're blind calling, and there's a deer that's you know just over the ridge, or maybe he's behind a thicket or something like that. And now that deer comes sneaking in looking for you. He's probably going to find something. You know, <laughs> excuse me. He's probably not just going to come 
you know, stomping in. Sometimes they will, but a lot of times they come sneaking in, they try to swing downwind, and they try to figure out what's going on. Um, so then when they do that, and they see you in the tree or they smell you in the tree or whatever, now you've just educated a deer that's going to be really hard to kill from that stand again anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would rather see the deer and then and then react to what I'm seeing because then I can track them with my eyes and I know, you know, if they're starting to swing downwind, I know I've got to get more aggressive or I've got to do something. Um, you know, at least you know what's going on and, and you're not just going to get caught by surprise. Yeah. Uh, what about... Uh specific kinds of uh calls and rattling antlers and that sort of thing are there are there particular uh call products that you really like and have been effective for you bill i like the loud grunts uh grunt calls grunts grunt calls that hold their tone when you blow hard into them and there aren't very many of them that do that um you know there's some there's some on the market now that are that are a little bit better at that than others um i also like I don't like carrying antlers, so I like something that's a portable rattling device, and I'm kind of impressed with that pack rack. Uh, From that, Night uh, and Hail, yeah. Yeah, that's a cool little device that makes a lot of noise, sounds you know, quite a bit like antlers, close enough. You know, they, they're, uh, you know, we're not calling in people, you know, we're calling in deer, and, and they, they don't necessarily know whether it's yeah. tinkly or wackety-wackety, you know, I mean, they, they hear stuff banging against each other, and if they're in the right mood, they're coming, and, and I've rattled in deer putting tree stands up that have chains you know when you're rattling them against like the climbing sticks or something mm. like that and they hear that and they come busting in what, a, what uh, about I've, what about your grunt tube bill what what kind are you carrying people are just well, curious again the night and hail's got a, a loud one uh for this year and i'm really looking forward to getting my hands on it i've just been carrying you know basic run-of-the-mill stuff i've, I've liked the uh, primos hardwood grunter over the years that's been a good one for me uh it seems to hold its tone you know well but um night and hail supposedly has one now and i haven't got my hands on it yet but one that you can blow louder. And, um, and what about the can style calls for estrus bleats? And do you, do you use any of those, Bill? I think it probably makes a lot of sense. I just haven't I haven't done it. I, I just feel like uh, it's, I'm just a keep it simple, stupid guy. And, and uh, uh, you know, for me, I feel like I can get you know a high percentage of the deer to come in with the grunt call, the snort wheeze with my mouth, or now you know with this little simple device that Night and Hale's coming out with that pack rack. And I don't have to carry a bunch of stuff. Um, you know, I. I just I'm a I'm a minimalist. I don't like having a whole bunch of stuff. I don't I don't take a pack to the tree. You know, if I can't fit it in my pockets, I don't take it. Um, so anyway, that's <clears throat> that's that's just my philosophy. It's not necessarily right. Um, it's just kind of me. Yeah, well, I think they I think they would work. I mean, I don't see a reason why they wouldn't. Oh yeah, yeah. I well, I use them. I think they they work well. And uh, hey, there's more than one way to skin a cat. You know. Yeah, that's that's what's fun about it is everybody can do it their own way. And, and there's certain principles that you can't violate. You know, there's some things that, that everybody has to adhere to and every strategy kind of has to be built around but then there's a lot of individual choice you know from there and um, that's what keeps it fun yeah absolutely well listen bill we covered a lot of ground today and uh you know i think there's a lot of useful information in there that'll carry that'll carry our listeners uh, over from you know opening day right through the rut and uh we'll be checking back with you for sure uh to see what kind of big animals Bill Winkie's got on the ground and uh, we'll circle back and maybe at the end of the season we'll get a rut recap from you and maybe talk a little bit about late season hunting and that sort of thing and it's just been a pleasure Bill I always enjoy the chance to talk deer hunting with you I appreciate the good work that you do for Peterson's bow hunting and uh, uh, just keep it up and I wish you the best of luck a safe and successful deer season for you this year. Well, thanks, Christian. I appreciate it. Good luck to you, too, and good luck to all the listeners. Uh, well, 
I think it's going to be a good year, you know, from what I've seen and the people I've talked to. It seems like there's a lot of nice deer carried over from last year, so it should be an exciting year for just about everybody. Yeah, and if uh, and if folks who are listening, when you kill the big one, uh, share your trophy photos with us. You can email those to bowhunting at imoutdoors.com, and you can also get uh, in touch with Bill Winky and what he's up to and what his teams are up to at uh, midwestwhitetail.com. Right, Bill? Yeah, that's it. I appreciate it. Hey, you got it. Hey, thanks again. Have a great afternoon, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Hey, talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, presented by Easton's Hard-Hitting Access Arrows. For more information, pick up a copy of Peterson's Bowhunting Magazine on newsstands now.